reflecting is a really helpful thing. I don't know whether you do it much, whether you ponder what journey you've been on and what's been going on in your world. Um, but when we think back um, for us as a group, um, as a gathering of people, it's a really important thing to do on a regular basis to try and work out where we've been, what we've looked at, and the kind of differences that's, that's made. Because when we do begin to look back, we can see that actually we have grown and we, we are aware of stuff and thinking in a different way than maybe we weren't before. And actually listening to you guys share your stuff and there's so many phrases and, and kind of um, perspectives that come out in what you're all saying that is what the core of what we've been talking about this year. And that's a real delight to know that actually maybe at least one person or two people have been listening, which is good. Um, <laughs> So we started the year, we've, we've looked at three main series this year, three main topics this year. We started looking at the year looking at um, a series called Making an Impact. And it was aiming to work out how can we understand our society better and how as a Christian um, we don't just survive but we're able to thrive in a culture that can sometimes feel pretty alien. So we started off by looking at the story of Daniel and all of those weeks we looked at a different part of Daniel's life because that's an example in the Bible of someone who was um, well, basically um, kidnapped and taken captive into an alien uh, country and culture that was completely different from one that was ever interested in serving God. And I don't know about you but sometimes it feels like we live in a society that isn't kind of, uh, its trajectory isn't pointing towards God all the time. That maybe we're working with people in environments where we, we're aware that what we believe isn't the standard anymore. Uh, and we, when we started this series, we talked about um, how we live in a post-Christian world. Because in our world, um, people, it's not that they, they don't know about God or they've not heard about it. People have sometimes heard it and chosen to reject it. And when we take that into consideration and work out how do we operate as individuals effectively then, how do we not just survive, but how do we thrive in our society that can sometimes feel a bit alien? Um, we've got to change our approach than just treating it like everything is a missionary opportunity for us to go and give them the good news. We've got to be challenged on those kind of things. So we looked at the life of Daniel and and it was, it was a brilliant time just to be able to see how God works in someone um, who is facing all of those challenges. How he learnt to compromise certain things that if we, did, if we were in his situation now, we'd probably struggle to do some of the things that he did. Because we'd say, oh, I could never do that. But he, he did some quite amazing compromises, but knew his point of no compromise. And it's quite an amazing story. So... If you haven't heard any of those and you fancy going back and listening, they're all on our podcast site. Um, and it's, there's about six or seven weeks of that. But that was important for us to understand our society. Then we moved on to challenging ourselves to love without agenda. We took inspiration from Bob, Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always. And um, we looked at a whole range of connections that we have in relationships. So neighbours, friends, workplace, those close to us, our enemies, strangers, yourself and God. We looked at all of these different relationships and said, OK, where can, I where can agenda creep in? And how can we develop truly authentic relationships? Auth authentic and authenticity has become a buzzword in a lot of ways. But actually true authenticity is something that, that is so powerful and so transformative in a relationship if we can get it right. And I suppose the pursuit of that series is to work out how do we get rid of there being an agenda 
um, in our relationships and be whole, wholesome and wholehearted in the way that we invest into relationships and be really authentic. And then we finished uh, this last year by investigating how can we develop our inner story, which is basically understanding the concept that we all have a public story that everyone sees, the things we talk about on a daily basis, the things we do, how we operate, what everyone sees about us and knows about us is our public story. But our inner story is often what navigates and drives us. That's the thing sometimes it might just be described as your inner monologue, as the thoughts that you have, the way you unpack things personally. That inner story can be shaped so much by our experiences in the past, our insecurities, our feelings about different things. So our, our journey was really to say, okay, what does it look like if God is able to influence our inner story and change the way we think and feel about things? So as we move through that, um, we, we tried to challenge uh, so many different things to do within a story, but, but we mainly looked at disciplines to say, actually, if, if encountering God and connecting with him changes us, then what is the point in the things that we're told to do? So as Christians, we're told we should read the Bible, we should pray, we should uh, fast, we should serve, we should attend church, we should give. All of these different kind of things we're told we should do. Uh, but why should we do that? And what is the point? We worked out the greatest learning from that is, uh, does our relationship with God, does a relationship with God require us to do any of those disciplines? No, it doesn't. It's not a charge, it's not a subscription fee to having a connection with God. That is just there and available. But we are changed and we grow and we develop when we develop disciplines. And we're able to be disciplined in our connection with him. So those are the kind of three main things we've looked at this year. And when we take a step back and look at those series, I suppose, almost as a bit of a synopsis. We were talking about understanding our society, how we fit, work and thrive in it understanding our relationships how we genuinely become love to people and then understanding the importance of connecting with God learning the ways that we can do that that's the journey that we've been on over the last year and in essence I suppose and listening to what the guys have said has been really helpful for this in essence our mission has been to work towards becoming everything that God wants us to be and grounding that statement that we looked back at in year one discipleship is becoming who Jesus would be if he was you and that's the mission that we've been on. We can talk about these phrases. Sometimes uh, one of the things that winds me up about um, so the, the kind of Christian social media world is how um, so many preachers become so tweetable that you'll see people like that they'll just be sound bites tweeted all over the place from people's uh, preachers, which is great as a little point of inspiration. But but the problem is sometimes we miss all of the essence and the depth that goes behind some of those things. So when we talk about stuff like becoming who Jesus would be if he was you, yeah, that's brilliant. But actually, what does that actually look like on a daily basis? And I suppose this last year has been a bit of a mission for us is working out how do we understand our society? How do we understand our relationships? And how do we understand the importance of connecting with God? And as we've gone on that journey, the idea is that we... Um, is that we become shaped by that stuff. And what we know from this year is we know that your life matters, that what you do with it counts, and that each and every place that we find ourselves in has the potential to be used by God. That's what we know from this year. Those are the things that we know. There's a, a passage in Exodus, um, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and it's talking about Moses. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, 
He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Uh, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God, to hold, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come, uh, Moses replied, uh, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. It's a famous story that we've read a while ago, back uh, when we first started. But there's this moment where Moses sees this amazing sight and he suddenly realises there's something different going on. This bush that should be being annihilated by flames is just continually burning and not breaking down at all. It doesn't make any sense. So he goes to investigate and finds that the reason is because he notices that God is present in the bush. What a weird, what a weird thing to experience. But it blew his mind. And in that moment, um, the Lord warns him, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And that's the case for Moses. He's standing on holy ground. But the interesting thing is it's the same ground that he's been walking on for the last 40 years. All he's doing in this story is his job, which is to tend the flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, the priest of Midian. So he's walking along the same ground. The flock haven't gone off to new pastures. They're on the same ground that he's walked on for the last 40 years. But in that moment, he sees this burning bush and he's told that he is now standing on holy ground. And I suppose the question is, has it suddenly become holy or has Moses just become aware of it? And that's the interesting point about it, that take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. Is it holy because the bush is on fire and the bush isn't burning up? Or has Moses just clicked into this realisation that the presence of God is where he's been for the, every single day for the last 40 years? And this is the point when we talk about our life matters, what you do with it counts. Each and every place that you find yourself in has the potential to be used by God. The reality for us is the presence of God is all around us, it's everywhere. He is with us in all things that we do. But maybe it's, it's that we're not fully aware of that. And the question for us is, are we standing on holy ground all the time? But because we are distracted or we're busy with our agendas or our to-do lists, or maybe we're stressed or we're moving too fast through life or we're too worried about comparing ourselves to everyone else that we fail to notice that the very ground that we stand on on a daily basis happens to also be holy ground as well. Because to me that is the reality of, of what God has for us. And when we talk about making ourselves aware of what God might want us to do, I've often talked about that with people, making ourselves aware of what God might want us to do. But the ultimate is actually getting to a place where the presence of God, we realise that the presence of God is just with us, shaping our thoughts every time we think. Um, our actions are shaped, our communication, our reliance on him. If we're aware that the presence is with us permanently, then there's an opportunity for all of those things to be completely changed. When we first started the living room, I read a quote 
um, from a book by a lady called Rachel Held Evans, who really sadly passed away quite tragically in the last year. Um, she wrote a book called Searching for Sunday, and I've read this quote right at the start of when we started. I read it a couple of months ago um, as a reminder when she sadly passed away. Um, but this is what she said, and her whole book is around trying to find somewhere where she fits, like a Sunday setting where she fits. And this is what she says. But if I've learned anything in this journey, both in writing this book and clumsily living its content, its content, it's that Sunday morning sneaks up on us like dawn, like resurrection, like the sun that rises a ribbon at a time. We always expect a trumpet and triumphant entry. But as always, God surprises us by showing up in ordinary things, in bread, in wine, in water, in words, in sickness, in healing, in death, in the manger of hay, in the mother's womb, in an empty tomb. Church isn't some community that you join or some place you arrive. Church is what happens when someone taps you on the shoulder and whispers in your ear, pay attention, this is holy ground, God is here. That is the reality of what we're chasing, that we're not trying to create this space where we've got it all right. This should just be the point where we nudge each other, we remind each other who we are, we fix our eyes more cleverly on God and we're changed as a result so that we can do the 98% of our normal life better. And that's our mission, that's what we've been trying to work towards and that's what we've been looking at over the last year in essence. So where are we now? Where do we arrive now? Well for me our first year felt like it was a time of unlearning. It felt that we were unlearning some of the habits and the procedures and the things that maybe we'd just become so used to being a normal part of everything that we did. And then this last year seems to have almost been a process of relearning, relearning what it's all about, who we are, why we do certain things, what God thinks of us. We're relearning this stuff in order to build a new identity. And I think that's why we've arrived. That's what we've got. This process has allowed us to be confident in our identity as a group of people. It's enabled us to be more understanding, to have more empathy with people, be more supportive. Because we know who we are and we know who he's calling us to be. And it boils down to this. When we remove the pressure to have all the answers and to, and to appear to have it all together, we are liberated to be ourselves and walk alongside others. That's what it looks like. Now, I don't know if you, whether you've ever felt those pressures. I certainly have in my life. But when we are free from that, when we remove the pressure to have the answers appear to have it all together and to be winning at life, we become completely liberated. And it's because what God wants is you and you, just as you are, is enough. Sometimes we think there's a standard that ideally we could be hit to unlock the next level. And, and we're not helped sometimes by traditionally the way things are talked about within church settings. Sometimes people will talk about things almost as if you are climbing a ladder and stepping up. You're, you're going through ceilings into new levels of, of, um, of uh, opportunity and all this kind of stuff. The reality is God's not put those systems in place. We have as humans. And I think our passion here is to say, let's scrap that stuff as much as we possibly can. Let's 
inspire each other, invest in each other, see each other grow and develop and become everything that God has called us to be. So that's, that's where we stand now. So where are we going? Considering all that we talked about and then trying to work out how we move forward, it's really interesting because reflecting on the last two years, it has been absolutely brilliant. But we've also faced some challenges and challenges that I don't think we ever would have expected. So in what we've been doing, we've discovered that sometimes within this kind of setting, that sometimes people can feel a bit uncomfortable. Now, lots of people feel comfortable with it, but sometimes people feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it can feel like it's a bit too intimate. You can see the whites of everyone's eyes. Man, you can feel, people can feel exposed in these kind of settings. And when you think about what we wanted to create from the beginning, we wanted to create a place of refuge, a place of safety where people felt that whether they've walked away from church or were disillusioned with church, they could come back in and not worry about it. Or people who've never been into church and couldn't really imagine what it would look like to walk into a church. Um, it, we wanted refuge to be uh, something where people could do both of those kind of things. And what we found in this time is that our house has been brilliant in so many ways for that. But it's also probably created a barrier and some challenges that we never realised would happen. And, uh, and it's not to say we're not being negative about it. We've loved uh, what we've done. But what we need is a space that people can, I suppose, to do this, to provide refuge and to, to be everything that we want it to be. What we need is a space that, where people can hide easily. It's not a normal thing where you go, we want to we create a, a church, but we want it to be somewhere people can hide. If we want it to be refuge and safe, people need to be able to hide. Somewhere where people can slip in at the back. They can arrive late and leave early if they need to. Somewhere where they can choose not to sing if they don't want to. Somewhere that is accessible to introverts as well as extroverts. I've only realised over the last year, and I'm 41 now, I've only realised over the last year that, that as I travel across the country, working in different churches and all this kind of stuff, church is not very well designed for introverts. We're always asking to be, do stuff where people put their hand up or stand up or, or come to the front and sing out loud and come and share this, do that. And like, it's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's inspiring. It works fantastically well, but it's not always that well designed for people who are introverts. So I'm sat here thinking, well, how can we create a space where it actually works for all that stuff? Now, don't get me wrong. <coughs> what we really want is people to get involved in what we're doing. That's what we're passionate about. But we need to make sure that people don't feel pressured or judged. And I suppose what we've realised is the concept of someone turning up and knocking on our front door may be a step too far for some people. And it may be the barrier that have made people feel like, yeah, I'm really interested in going there. We had it with um, Joe and Rosie. Joe um, had been checking in and listening in to what we were doing, but, but was too scared to come and knock on the front door. So her brother was over and he, he came with his family and brought her along and, and that be, this became her place of refuge. But she had to get through the front door. We never realised when we started that the front door would sometimes be the thing that, that made it hard for people to access, uh, to access it. Um, and sometimes sitting in a living room where you can see the whites of everyone's eyes might be a bit scary and a bit daunting for some people. And the number of people who've come to visit 
whether it's been at a dedication or something like that. And they said, oh, I didn't really know what I was coming to today. I thought we'd just want to be really squeezed into this little room. And we're fortunate that we've got an amazing space to be able to meet them. But actually, there's been challenges about that that I suppose have caused us to, to ask ourselves some bigger questions. And um, we've been doing some investigating and we've made some decisions about, about what the next phase of the living room looks like. So, newsflash. Um, what we're doing is we're, we're planning to move out of... Not, we're not moving house. We've, we've not invested... <laughs> not just decorated the living room to put it on the market. Um, but we've decided to move the living room to a new venue. We've, it's not just been me and Hannah's made this decision. We pulled... Um, a few different guys together um, just to get perspectives of different people, what we need to be aware of, what we need to think about. But we decided to move the living room to a new venue from November um, and we're going to meet in the hub in Netlam. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, um, but basically uh, it's more like uh, a coffee shop living room type feel. What we wanted to avoid was moving into a village hall um, and going to an audience and a stage don't want to do any of that. We, we love the vibe of what we've got. We want it for everything to be mixed up, people to all be together, um, for it not to be suddenly become an audience and a, and a, and a, a stage. Um, so finding somewhere that works like that and is available is nigh on impossible. But the, the hub in Netland basically is a library, um, but it's got movable bookshelves um, and it's got loads and loads of quirky furniture, um, loads of comfortable places to sit. And it feels like it could be somewhere that would, would be a perfect next step and natural, uh, natural progression for us. So it's a flexible space that will allow us to address some of the challenges that we've come across. Those places where we want someone to feel they can come, uh, come in late, they can leave early if they need to. They can slip in at the back. People just come and check out what it's all about without feeling um, like they're being invited into someone's actual house. Um, but it also gives us an opportunity to grow. I think some of the challenges we find now is the fact that we are getting more stretched in this kind of space. And maybe, uh, there was, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, there weren't enough chairs for everyone and all those kind of things. So we want to make sure we're, we're being sensible with our um, desire to kind of grow a little bit, but also to, to create a space that still works the way we want it to do. And when we come to move, we'll look to set up a few other elements of the living room in order to ensure the kind of connections that people have grown to love and appreciate within this environment can still be maintained, maybe in other ways, as well as when we meet together and gather together. So it feels like um, we're at an important phase in the development of the living room. Um, it's never going to be something that we're just going to sack off everything that we intended to be and just try and create um, just a kind of a modern contemporary church setting. We want to do something different. We're trying, and I think the great thing is because this is based around people and values and a passion to, to chase after a connection with God, that stuff remains. Things will change and look a bit different as we move into a different place, but I'm quite excited about that because I think that that is an opportunity for us to, to stretch out a little bit and see who else might be, might be being kept away from this setting that actually would really find God, find hope, uh, and all of those kind of things. So it feels like an important, uh, an important phase in the development. And our focus remains on the three things that we started with. Providing refuge, finding hope, and discovering purpose. That's what we want to do. Those are the three things. Create that safe space. Um, introduce and connect people to Jesus. 
but help people to discover who they are and who God intends them to be. So it's about loving without an agenda, caring for and supporting people, inspiring people, championing them, and where the opportunity arises, connecting people to God. And this next step, I suppose, as we move forward, provides us with the opportunity to do all of this more effectively. Uh, more effectively. And it feels like um, we're at a bit of the start of a new chapter. And I'm just so grateful that people have, have chosen to jump on and get involved in the journey. Um, it's been a real privilege to grow with, it, with you guys and to see people um, find hope again. Um, begin to realise um, what their purpose in life might be. Um, but ultimately that people feel safe to, to be as there. I remember when we first started, I had this massive dilemma of trying to work out what, how do you define success? If you're going to remove numbers from it and say, oh, success looks like we hit this number, we never wanted to do that. So when you take numbers away, how do you define success? And I remember thinking, well, maybe we need to focus more on thinking about health, um, helping people to be healthy, to, to grow in their relationship with God and become healthy. And I thought, oh, maybe that's a better marker for success. And then I realised, but, but that's not necessarily true because when someone isn't healthy, it doesn't mean we failed. And for me, it, the idea that someone still feels able to turn up, even with massive questions, massive doubts, struggles, um, and like they, they're not even sure whether God's real anymore. If they still feel safe, here and able to, to be a part of what we're doing, whether they're coming on Sunday, they're coming around for tea, they're sitting at the table, whatever they might be doing, as long as people feel like that, to me, I feel like that's a better marker of success than making it about, oh, as long as everyone's well and good and thriving. Because the reality is life doesn't work like that. Sometimes we have times where you can't help but be suffering under the pressure of what is going on in your world. So success doesn't look like um, the normal criteria. Success looks like us being able to be whoever we are and authentically going on that journey together where we pick each other up. I mean, it's all been said by the other guys. We pick each other up when the pieces are falling apart. And that, to me, is what success is like moving forward.